Welcome everybody to the Birth Sisters podcast. We're so excited to be chatting with you today. Um, This is going to be just kind of an overall update. Yeah, we took a maternity leave this spring and kind of the summer too. It was a good five-month break (laughs) um, just because we were so busy, obviously, having kids and um, getting used to having two kids, each of us. So and I moved, yeah. and Megan, you guys yeah. <laughs> heard about it. Megan's had the craziest year ever. Um, if you haven't heard about it, go listen to Florence's birth um, episode. Yeah, I give a more detailed update there. Yep. So um, we're we're getting back into a schedule of recording, and I'm really really excited to kind of get some some more topics out there because we've got a lot to say. (laughs) Me too. So I want to ask you about your birth video that you posted. You posted a couple of your labor and delivery kind of posts about your midwife and stuff, but you had one that kind of blew up. Yeah, it was so crazy. So I think it was in like maybe mid-April or the end of April. I just put together this real about Ezra's birth and I had taken so many videos of Ezra's birth that I wanted to like put them together in different reels like kind of on different topics and the first one that I posted was about like the stages of labor Mm -hmm. it went like mega viral it has right now it has like over five and a half million views which is a lot (laughs) which is a ton And I was not expecting that. So it was so fun to be able to share that with so many people. Why don't you tell us about the comments that you got? Because there were some really good comments and there were some not so good comments. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, when a video goes that big, there's a lot like just a lot of people see it and it has quite a few um, likes, but there's also like 700 comments or something on it whoa so people were real there were a lot of really awesome comments on there like ladies sharing their birth stories and like sharing their experiences there were some people who were not as um happy for me for having a home (laughs) birth one of the craziest comments i got just one word it said horrifying and i was so shook i was like is it is this really horrifying to you like look at how peaceful it is yeah like the whole video you have sweet music there's not you like actually like you know in the pushing phase like no not yelling but like you know like putting power behind your pushing like it's not horrifying at all it's beautiful i don't know what that lady has to unpack about herself (laughs) but somehow she thought that was horrifying. So we're sending good vibes out into the universe <laughs> for her. Um, but yeah, just so many people like sharing like, I had all my babies at home or I would love to try this one day. Yeah. And so that was really fun. And also kind of in conjunction with that real going um, viral, I have a ton of new Instagram followers. So I have like 3,500 right now, which I mean, social media is so funny because you're all like some people pay attention to the numbers and some people yeah. don't. But I I mean, you and I both do social media for work, yeah. like professionally for brands and stuff. And so it was really fun to have like social media things happening to yeah. me on my own page. So yeah. 
So hopefully with all of those new followers, we have at least a few new listeners to the podcast. Um, so and, if you're new, welcome. Yep. If you're new, we're happy to have you here and listening and hopefully you learn something. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my spring. It was crazy because it like went up to 30k views and it kind of like petered off for a week or two and then all of a sudden it just started going up and up and up and I hit a million and I was like oh my gosh that's crazy and then it just kept going up to five and a half million so and I love that you shared that and you know it was a very um beautiful video but it showed like labor progression yeah isn't always linear it's you know up and down you have moments of relaxation you have really intense moments Mm -hmm. i'm glad that you showed the real feeling of uh unmedicated labor yeah i that was kind of my goal with putting it out there is just to like show my experience mostly for my friends and family to see Mm -hmm. because that's all who i expected to see it Mm -hmm. but and actually people like all around the world i had doulas from Australia and Russia and South America, literally so many places um, sharing my reel and commenting. So that was really fun and just cool to feel connected to like the birth community of the world. Mm -hmm. So the birth sisters of the world. Yeah, (laughs) that was I just kind of wanted to talk about that and share that and welcome any new listeners that we have. Awesome. Before we started recording, you were kind of telling me this, but I want an update on your bunion because (laughs) you shared in Florence's birth story that you have a bunion. Because my feet spread during pregnancy, which actually happens because of the hormone relaxant in your body, Um, your feet can spread and, you know, grow, but not actually grow. They're just spread. Mm -hmm. Um, And very shortly after Florence was born, I couldn't fit into any of my shoes like it just hurt so bad to wear any shoes and I was like what is this like I have a bump at the base of my big toe and I was looking it up and it was a bunion like that's what every symptom said and so I scheduled a appointment with a a podiatrist and they took x-rays and they found out that it's not a bunion interestingly enough Which he said, just looking at it, he totally would have diagnosed it as a bunion. Uh Um, But with the x-rays, it shows that, like, my joint is totally normal, which with a bunion, your joint gets, like, pushed and Hmm. more bone grows in the joint. Okay. But instead of that happening, I have, like, a little bone growth on the base of my big toe. And he said I probably have had it since I was born, but pregnancy just, like made it worse or something made it grow more um so i have to get surgery to get it out i didn't know that yeah sure so i'm gonna be having surgery next month what and and like if i didn't get surgery then i would just be managing the pain yeah forever and so adam and i had talked about it and said it would just be better in the long run just to get it out now and not have to deal with it later yeah yeah so well, and you don't know like if it's going to change with your next pregnancy and get yeah. worse or yeah whatever and it, like it's pretty painful she asked me what my pain level was and i was like well it goes up and down but like at the, at its worst it's like an eight or a nine oh my gosh which is like really bad like i've 
hit it like when I'm just walking I've like stubbed my toe and it hurts like a thousand times worse than like a normal toe stub and wow. it like had me on the floor crying oh, no, Meg. so I just want to get it taken care of and be able to wear normal shoes again because yeah. I only have one pair of shoes that like kind of doesn't irritate it yeah that are like a really wide toe box so yeah that's wow. that oh my gosh well good luck <laughs> I know and like I was thinking it's gonna suck to like have surgery with a six-month-old and yeah. a two-year-old and like be in a boot or a cast but he said that the recovery is gonna be like a couple weeks and you just have like one of those little sur- surgical shoes okay and it's like way easier recovery than a bunionectomy oh okay well so that's good news it's less invasive it's oh, yeah good so oh, yeah okay so those are kind of some like update type of things but um we also want to get into like postpartum this is kind of like mm. gonna be our real postpartum update episode um kind of catching up on the past six months so the first thing i want to talk about is co-sleeping so do you want to tell about your co-sleeping journey with each of your kids yeah so i co-slept with both uh royal and florence and with Royal, I had a lot of anxiety after he was born. And so, I he wasn't in our bed 100% of the time. And so, he would sleep in a bassinet or, like, his mamaru. But I, when that would, like, when I would do that, when I'd put him in there, I was awake and watching him breathe and listening mm-hmm. to him breathe mm-hmm. and, like, constantly checking up on him especially in like the first couple weeks postpartum with royal and i was like am i supposed to be feeling this scared that he's gonna stop breathing i mean i was a first time mom and so um i but i also thought i felt that it was easier to bring him into my bed and just nurse him back to sleep when he would wake up to eat and so I would fall asleep too because when you breastfeed, there's oxytocin. It makes you tired, makes a baby tired. So mm-hmm. um, it would just put us both back to sleep. And so we end up co-sleeping. Yeah. Um, and then if I woke up later on and I could transfer him back to his bassinet, then I would. Um, and so I wanted to do something similar with Florence. And it actually ended up working out really well. Um, because I was already comfortable with like breastfeeding in bed, I knew how to do it, how to position my blanket so that they weren't touching her and weren't a danger to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first month or so, I had a bedside bassinet, but now in the bus, she has a little bunk bed that's right next to ours with a wall separating, but she has a little window that I can pass her back and forth through, which is really nice because I can bring her into our bed and feed her and then just put her back. Yeah. Um, and I also end up co-sleeping with her, um, you know, here and there because we both fall asleep when right. when it's 2 a.m. and I'm nursing. Right. So I had been a little bit worried about co-sleeping um, with Royal because I didn't know, like, what was safe. Mm-hmm. I was it, Like, they recommend you have a firm mattress and, like, not a pillow and, yeah. like, not blankets but I am a like five blanket girl. <laughs> so I just had to figure out how to tuck them. And mm-hmm. when I'm sleeping with the baby, I don't move. Yeah. And every time I go to move, I'm like, no, there's a baby there. So I either need to put them back in their bed 
and so I can move or I just need to stay here. Yeah, it's really hard to, before you're a mom, to describe the brain capacity you have when it's the middle of the night, but somehow you're just aware. Like, yeah. I mean, there's obviously like chemical things that happen in your brain while you're pregnant and while you're a mom, but you are aware of your baby and you couldn't roll like, over yeah, onto them. It would be near impossible to forget that they were there. Yeah. Yeah. Unless the like the other thing with co-sleeping and bed sharing is that you can't be under the influence of drugs or alcohol or and that like includes sleeping medication. Yeah. And um you also have to have a non-smoking home. Yeah. So um I also have loved co-sleeping so much. Um we did it kind of different. I mean, I really liked what we did with Ella and I wouldn't have changed it, but um now that we have Ezra, we have a much bigger bed. Like, mm -hmm. we were sleeping in a full-sized bed when we had Ella, and now we have a queen. So, we have more room. And um, I was looking back through, like, my journal of when Ella was super small, and I realized that we only co-slept with Ella for, like, less than a month, which was really surprising to me. It felt like so long, but it actually turned out not to be. Um so I knew that I wanted to do it for longer with Ezra and we um, did. We did it for like, we co-slept for about three months and then it just kind of felt right. Like he was getting bigger and um, it kind of felt right. So we moved him to a floor bed just mm -hmm. right next to our bed. Um, Which is so, it's so nice to have him that close. Like yes. a bedside bassinet, a floor bed right next to yours. Because then when they wake up to eat. Yeah. Or even if they wake up not to eat, if they wake up because they're sad or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, because they ripped their passy out, right. they're just right there. You don't yeah. have to really wake up, walk to another room. Right, yeah. One thing that I really loved about co-sleeping um, this time, and I don't know if I remember this more just because it's so fresh and if I thought this or did this with Ella, but something that I loved is that my hand is the perfect monitor it can perfectly tell his status. So in those first few weeks when I would wake up and be like, oh, what, is he hungry? Is he awake? Is he asleep? Is he have his passy? Whatever. What, where's his burp cloth? Um, I could just simply put my hand on his chest and my hand obviously has so many sensors and nerves in it that can mm -hmm. tell he's breathing, he's warm enough, he's not too hot. Like, his passy's in his mouth or it yeah. isn't or whatever and I just thought like people spend so much money on having the fanciest camera monitor baby monitor or the fanciest like outlet sock that'll tell them their baby's heart rate but like my body is already perfectly capable of telling me yeah what his status is especially because you don't inhibit those senses right by you know substances yeah 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 I love that that's so true. I had an outlet sock that was like a hand-me-down and I never even pulled it out because that almost gave me more anxiety mm -hmm. having to check one other thing. Yeah. Like I could look at him and be like, okay, he's breathing. Or I could yeah. listen to him and I, okay, he's breathing or she, no, she's breathing. Yeah. And having, you know, his heart rate is this. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I know. And it, I mean, we put the outlet sock on Ella, like, the very first night that she was born, 
and she was too small and so it fell off and then so <laughs> and then it was beeping yeah it's beeping. there's no it's heart rate the little song in the middle of the night and i'm like oh my gosh ah, i'm four hours postpartum and like not in the mind space to be like i should not have to be worrying about yeah anyway so that's what i feel about co-sleeping i know yeah. it's been it's it's been a really big blessing for our family and i really loved it so same here um i love that okay so our next topic is breastfeeding do you want to talk about your experience first yeah so breastfeeding the first time around was really rough um but this time around it's been a lot better like ezra has been eating so well and right off the bat it was like a little bit painful but i think not um more than it needed to be yeah just normal yeah like, it after not breastfeeding to, yeah, yeah after not breastfeeding for however long it was between when ella weaned and now you have ezra yeah your nipples like get unused to it right and so they have to get reused to it recalloused yeah yeah so he has been doing so well and it's been so much fun and it's really been great to like have the oxytocin of it mm -hmm. without all of the pain mm -hmm. because I really felt like last time when I was feeding Ella, it was like, oh, I, I'm going to get this oxytocin, so I know it'll be worth it, but it's so painful in the process. Yeah. And so this time it's been a lot better. And the one thing with breastfeeding this time around is right around like two and a half months at the beginning of the summer, I felt like I had a dip in my milk supply which I don't know if that was just like my body regulating and so mm -hmm. I my breasts didn't feel as full mm -hmm. or if I really did have a, milk, a dip in my milk supply. Yeah. But um, I was like, ah, Meg, mom, what do I do? Crap. Yeah. Because while you're in it, you're like so worried that you don't yeah. like think of the action steps that you can and should take so and you're like i don't want to do formula do i have to go buy formula yeah, like, like is that my only option my baby's hungry what do i do yeah so luckily you guys gave me some really good like tips and things to try and things to do so what i did was number one i acted quickly mm -hmm. like as soon as i had the thought like the slightest inkling mm -hmm. that um, my milk was dipping, I started doing stuff. So what I did was I did skin to skin with Ezra for three and a half hours, which mm -hmm. doesn't sound like a long time now that I'm like looking back on it, but it's a long time to be there with a naked baby. <laughs> yeah. And to be sitting there. Yeah. Doing nothing besides connecting with yeah. baby. So um, three and a half hours, which I could have done longer, like that was right at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. I honestly went to sleep with him too. And that probably was helpful. Mm -hmm. So skin to skin. And then I also made sure to get extra calories and to stay extra hydrated. Mm -hmm. So I was extra hydrated. I just like really drink a ton of water. I even did like some liquid IVs. I think you had told me to do like some body armors. But yeah. I didn't have like a drink like that at home yeah so I stayed extra hydrated and I made sure to get extra calories which when you're breastfeeding you're already eating so much and you feel hungry too yeah when you're breastfeeding like especially that soon like that time postpartum you're like shoveling in the food yeah. I feel like yeah for reals and so I like ate a lot of high protein snacks and that was 
really helpful. I was pretty much just constantly eating and kind of through this whole process, I learned and like you and mom told me like breast milk is water and sugar. Mm -hmm. So that's why all the things online say like eat cookies, eat Oreos. Like they're trying to tell you to get those sugar dense foods and also that's like what you want to eat (laughs) yeah like you don't want to eat like a protein bar yeah because those are like thick and nasty nasty but like i'll eat a sleeve of oreos yeah yeah i'll have a i'll have a milkshake right so if i wasn't eating dairy yeah (laughs) i wasn't eating dairy but yeah those high high calorie high protein snacks was really what i focused on and my milk picked right back up and so instead of like just having crackers you had crackers and cheese and a protein stick yeah yeah all of those things combined like i i bought so many chomps like beef jerky was my best friend those early months postpartum it still is so good (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i remember doing something similar basically like having what i would normally have as a snack like maybe crackers and cheese but then i'd be like okay i'm gonna add an apple and peanut butter yeah and a piece of bread right. like just like adding going to overboard yeah going overboard which normally i would just have crackers and cheese right as a snack yeah so it took a lot of like effort mentally to think of snacks ideas and stuff yeah. but it was i was able to pick my milk back up and it was it was great so that's great yeah. that's awesome what other thoughts about breastfeeding do you have that you want to like talk about? Um, one thing that I wanted to say was that with Royal, like obviously I was so new to breastfeeding and like my boobs had never been used for that before. Mm-hmm. And so it was like kind of, I kind of felt awkward like being in a room with people while I was breastfeeding. So I always use my cover and it, or like, you'd go to the other room. Yeah, I would I'd go, go to, the, to the other room. Yeah. And like I've never been like okay i need to like go hide in a bathroom stall in public to do it but like i'd always make sure to have my feeding cover or Mm -hmm. like go out to the car and um that was i think mostly just because i was new to it yeah i wasn't totally comfortable and like i didn't know how to hold royal exactly to just like feed him like i didn't know that i could just like you know, feed him discreetly without a cover around people. Um, Another thing with that was when I was pregnant with Royal is my boobs went from a B to an F. (laughs) And so they were huge. And that was also self-conscious for me. Um, I also got clogged ducts twice because my bras were too tight. And so I wasn't wearing bras when I was breastfeeding Royal. Like I went braless. But my boobs were also huge and I was super self-conscious about it. And so breastfeeding was kind of just like, I wasn't like anxious about feeding him, but I was always like aware. Not comfortable doing it in public maybe. Yeah, yeah. Versus now, like immediately after Florence was born, I was like, oh, I know how to do this. Yeah. Like I wasn't like, how do I get her to latch? I was just like, there she is. Yep. And I was more used to it, more used to feeding her while she was asleep and while I was asleep. Mm -hmm. And I haven't used my cover in public. Like, I always try to be discreet about it. I'm not just, like, whipping my breast out. Yeah, whole thing out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I always try to be discreet about it. um, But I'm less self-conscious of it. So, 
that's one thing if you're struggling with breastfeeding and maybe it's your first and you feel awkward with your new boobs like it it'll get better it can get better so it just takes practice i really have felt like the same thing in fact i think it was like two or three weeks ago i officially like took my feeding cover out of the Mm -hmm. diaper bag and put it in the drawer and i was like maybe i'll use this someday for another kid or something but i am just obviously much more comfortable and it's a shame too because i handmade that i sewed my own nursing cover this time and it's so cute but it's just an extra like thing to remember an extra layer that i really feel like i don't especially breastfeeding through the summer now yeah it's so hot and like baby doesn't want to be covered with that yeah and I, I think I used it once the other day. I can't remember where we were, but we we're someplace where I was wearing something that I couldn't yeah. like discreetly be- breastfeed in. And so I pulled out my feeding cover and Florence was like ripping it yeah. around because she's more aware and she can grab things now and she knows yeah. that she can tug things and hold things. So she was like ripping it around and I was like, stop. Yeah, yeah. So true. it was just, I was like, this is more inconvenient to have yeah. the the um feeding cover and I've always had the opinion that like if somebody has an issue with you breastfeeding in public that's a them thing not a me thing oh how many times I've practiced saying it's against the law for you to not allow me to breastfeed right now." yeah like do you want me to cover you up while you're eating yeah yeah so actually um our little sister we're at a rodeo and I was like, I need to feed Florence. And so I grabbed her from my little sister and my little sister was like, well, did you bring your feeding cover? (laughs) And I didn't say anything to her right then. But later, like when we got home, I was like, hey, it's never okay to tell somebody who's breastfeeding to cover up. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, okay, sorry. And I was like, if that makes you uncomfortable, you need to like think about that in your own head and not bring that up to anybody. And you can go away or look away if but I was like so discreet like I wasn't like yeah yeah. and so she was like okay I'm sorry and that's just like a thing that we need to teach young girls I I feel like that breastfeeding is normal yeah and boys I guess and that's also part of the reason I do it is so that my family members can see like this is this is how God designed this to be Mm -hmm. um just a few it was like maybe two weeks ago we were in Sunday school and Ezra was hungry and the lesson was so good and I was like I don't want to leave right now like I really don't want to go to the mother's lounge but we were on the very front row Mm. and I was wearing a dress that was not easy to breastfeed in Mm -hmm. but I was like I'm gonna do it and so I made it work I was covered up and I tried to stay I stayed modest but yeah um I was like why should I have to leave when the mom in the back row can just whip out her bottle and fill it with formula and water and Mm -hmm. feed her baby? Like I want to be able to do that too. And it took a lot of courage, but I did it. And Ezra, like it literally took three minutes Mm -hmm. and he was fine until we got home. Yeah. So, and that's, that's another thing that I had a bad experience breastfeeding in church. Really? Um, when I was, kind of newly postpartum I was wearing like a shirt and a skirt so it was kind of easier uh-huh. um Royal was crying and he was a loud crier when he was hungry it wasn't like hey feed me it was like feed me now yeah so 
I pulled out my nursing cover and I was like, Adam was trying to soothe him while I got ready. And I was feeding him in the front row, like not in the very front row, but like in the second or third row. And the bishop was watching me like he was speaking at the pulpit and he kind of got flustered and stumbled over his words because I was trying to feed royal. And I was like, okay, that's really awkward. So I started pumping and just giving him a bottle during church or going to the mother's room. But in that ward, our mother's room, there's always like four or five moms trying to be in there. And so sitting on the floor trying to. Yeah. And so I was like, we're just going to do a bottle. But it was so hard for me to pump for a bottle every Sunday. Yeah. Because I didn't have a milk supply in my freezer um, because I wasn't prioritizing that. And so I just pump yeah. before church and it was so stressful for me. And yeah. so now, um, even if I don't use my cover, if I need to, I'll like drape a blanket over yeah. and that's fine. Um, and so it took me a little while to get over that experience to yeah. be where I am now and be comfortable breastfeeding in public yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And for all of you moms out there, it is literally illegal federally in the united states for anyone to tell you that you cannot breastfeed so in public yeah. yep in public so just practice what you would say if anybody comes up to you and tells you to stop just mm-hmm. say you're not allowed to tell me to stop sorry mm-hmm. okay so that's kind of our thoughts on breastfeeding i mean obviously i have more we could probably do an entire mm-hmm. episode solely about that but just a kind of a little update So another thing that's been really fun um, to both experience at the same time, I mean, I say fun, but it's not been fun. We've both been like losing a lot of hair postpartum. It's a struggle. We're struggling with postpartum hair loss. Struggling together. Yeah. I mean, I think it happened with Ella too. It's Mm -hmm. been so long that I feel like I can't remember, but I am losing a lot of hair and I recently also just chopped all my hair off. Like How many I, inches? I cut like 14 inches off. Ooh, so That is a lot. I know. a lot. My hair was as long as it's ever been in my whole life. And I cut it all off to my shoulders. And part of the reason was because I was just losing so much. Yeah. And it felt like my hair was so heavy. And that was part of the problem. But yeah. And like it's hard to brush all of that. Yeah. And I was just losing so much hair. So postpartum hair loss is normal to an extent. It's common. Uh, Yeah, it's common. It because of the high because of the high estrogen levels during pregnancy, your body holds on to more hair, which is why people say like you get like thick, luscious, beautiful beautiful pregnancy hair. Um And then afterwards, because you have such low estrogen levels postpartum, you're, you overshed. Yeah. Um, and so like pregnant, when I would like take a shower, I'd probably pull like one or two hairs, like would get like in my fingers and I'd like put them on the shower wall or whatever. And when I would brush my hair, I hardly had to clean my brush out. Um, but now it's like, this is it's so unfortunate. It's clumps. Yeah. It's like tons, tons. It's like huge, huge amounts. And it's, it's like, freaky. Yeah. Like Zach walked by <laughs> the other day and was like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, this is every single day. Every, every shower. I touch my yeah. hair. It's so much. Yeah. And 
I it, started having to like vacuum more often than yeah. I usually would because my hair was just everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And so it's stressful, especially for like I have naturally thinner hair, like Annie has naturally thicker yeah. hair. And since I have naturally thinner hair, I've struggled my whole life being like, my hair is thin. I don't have very much yeah. hair. And then seeing that much hair come off of my head during a shower or while I'm brushing it, I'm like, I'm bald. I'm oh, bald. No. <laughs> but my hair is a lot healthier now than it has been. Yeah. You know, when my hair was thinner when I was 14 and it was ratchet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's still like kind of spooky. And so some things that I've been doing or that I'm going to be trying is I brush my hair less. Okay. I try not to brush through or, like, run my hands through my hair in the shower. Mm. I mean, the hair that's going to fall is going to fall. Yeah. But I don't want to make it worse by pulling yeah. any out. Um, so I also only, um, like, shampoo my hair, like, twice a week. Um, so that it's not like stripping any good oils that are hydrating yeah. the follicles. Um, and I sleep with a silk bonnet on. Oh. And that partially helps, like, you know, my hair's not getting pulled out by my cotton pillowcase. But it, if any hair does fall out during the night, it's in my bonnet and not all over our bed. Yeah, that's so smart and so nice. I love that. Something that I'm going to try is I'm going to start oiling my hair again. Mm. I have oiled my hair in the past and I do like a rosemary and tea tree, which some people say like don't put them directly on your scalp. Usually I put it like in my shampoo mm. um, and use it while I'm showering or like a few hours before I shower, I'll like do argan oil, rosemary oil, tea tree oil and coconut oil which a lot of people say coconut oil is not good for your hair either but it's worked for me so yeah those are some things that I think I might start trying I feel like my postpartum hair loss is a lot less than it was with royal maybe but that might just be because I don't have any of the postpartum hair regrowth which you get like the little hairs right around your hairline Mm -hmm. and you look all frizzy and so maybe that I'll feel like it's worse when we get to that point but yeah what about you what are some things that I mean you chopped your hair that's one thing yeah that's what really the main thing that I did while I was at the salon getting my hair cut the um, stylist was like it feels like you're kind of losing it all over rather than just in one concentrated area so I was like, I'm not really worried about it, but do you think I should be? And she was like, I don't think you're at the point yet where you need to be worried about it. Like but if she, you had one spot yeah. that was losing more and you had a right. bald spot, right. that would be a cause of concern. Yeah, but she was like, it feels like it's all over. So, yeah. And like you said, I have naturally thick hair, so I'm not. So like, lucky you. <laughs> so I'm not that worried about it. But I mean, obviously worried enough to chop my hair. So. Yeah, which I mean. You've had long hair for a while with the yeah. baby. They pull it and with the yeah. toddler, they pull it and so it just pulls. So it's just not worth it. And you've had long hair for quite a while. So it's good, yeah. good to change. Good for a change. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And this is kind of going back to where we started. Um, we started talking about co-sleeping, but I'm not co-sleeping anymore. And you still are. But I want to kind of talk about baby sleep. Yeah. And now that, I mean, you're at, what, five months almost postpartum and I'm at six months and in between, you know, 
zero to six months postpartum, there's a few sleep regressions. Yeah. Which, when you're in the thick of a sleep regression, it's really rough, but people always tell me to think about as a sleep progression because they're learning, like, some skills that Florence has developed is, um, like, sitting up and rolling over and mm-hmm. so her she has these new tricks that she'll practice in the middle of the night and she we have that little bunk bed uh, that has the little window and it's probably like two inches from our bed and so she'll roll off her bed onto <laughs> our bed and it has like she hasn't gotten hurt or anything but it's in the middle of the night and all of a sudden she's landing on top of me yeah. and she's like waking up and yeah. freaking out like not freaking out but like hey put me back in my bed right get me back to sleep and right so babies don't just sleep through the night and um they wake up to feed and they practice their new tricks so yeah (laughs) yeah um just recently i mean now that ezra's five months that's when they say that you can like start sleep training or start Mm -hmm. thinking about sleep training so Zach and I have been like tossing around ideas of what we want to do because we did the taking care of babies, taking care of babies um, method with Ella and we liked that and she's a really good sleeper and she... And what does that involve? Um, It's kind of like a modified cry it out method. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets so scared of the cry it out method, but yeah. really what taking care of babies is, is like supported teaching of yeah like training their brain it's sleep training yeah it's kind of like when you think of training like just like an athlete would train it's difficult it's new brain Mm -hmm. pathways being made and so it's kind of like you lay them down awake and wait till they cry or like you lay them down and then you go in one minute after yeah and soothe them and then you wait three minutes and then soothe Mm -hmm. them then you wait five minutes and soothe them, go in and soothe them, and then 10 if minutes. If they're even still needing it right, at that point. Right, yeah. Which, when we were, for, and it's only for 14 nights, and then they're mm. supposed to magically get it, which <laughs> I remember it, like, taking maybe 15 or 16 nights with Ella, or, like, and, like, there still were some bumps in the road, so... I don't know what we're going to end up doing with Ezra, and now it's harder because... Well, it's easier because we have a kid's room. We yeah. didn't have that when we had Ella. We just were all in one room. Um, so now we have a kid's room, but that also means, like, we would have to put Ezra in with Ella. And I don't know. And she loves him so much yeah. you would never let him sleep. I know. I don't know how that's going to work. But I really think Ella's old enough that we can, like, work t- together mm-hmm. with her and make it, like, you're sharing a room Yeah, now. you're sharing a room. Ezra needs to sleep now. You need, you need to, to sleep. sleep now. Yeah. So I'm sure we have some bumps in the road ahead of right. us, but um, I'm optimistically looking forward to having my room back. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we'll see how that goes, but we'll keep you guys updated on our baby sleep situation. Um. So this is a question that I feel like, you know, is usually a clear yes or no does Ezra sleep in the car yeah sometimes like does he like the car because some babies will just scream and scream in the car and I remember with Royal I had to like 
really work hard to get him to sleep in the car. Yeah, um, he definitely isn't perfect at it. And Ella actually took all of her naps in the car for a good three-month period when she was, like, six to nine months. And that was not fun because, like, I would try to put her down at home and she literally wouldn't do it. And as soon as I'd get her in the car, she would fall asleep. But if I, like, parked and stopped, she would wake up. Oh, that's so hard. So it was really rough and she, like, had to have, like, all car seat naps, which was, which is also, like, they tell you that that's not safe and all those things. But Ezra is kind of 50-50. Like, like we're coming down to the farm today and I wanted him to sleep and I got him all set up and he didn't do it. (laughs) And so, but then other days... We'll just be out and about, and then all of a sudden I look back and he's asleep. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of 50 50. Yeah. I feel like Florence will always sleep in the car. I mean, really? if it's like a five minute drive, no, but like if it's more than like probably like 15 to 20 minutes, she'll fall asleep in the wow. car. Wow. I mean, sometimes even if it's five minutes, like the other day driving home from church, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like a four or five minute drive. Does and she fell asleep? Does it mess up the rest of her day or is it like fine? No, we don't have her like on a nap schedule. I mean, okay. basically she sleeps when she's tired. Yeah, she eats and plays and then sleeps. And then when she wakes up, I feed her and she yeah. eats and then plays and then sleeps. Yeah. So and I think this is kind of a little bit maybe where we differ. My I mean, we're both kind of like this, but my brain is so planny. I need mm-hmm. to know, like, between, when he's gonna take yeah, a nap. between yeah. eight forty-five and nine thirty, Ezra takes his yeah. nap. His he starts his first nap of the day, and then between eleven and twelve thirty, he starts his second mm-hmm. nap of the day. And I've kind of been starting to get into that mindset, which I think hurt me a lot with Ella because I was so rigid about it. Yeah. You're like, but, I can't go anywhere yeah. because she has to take a nap now. And yeah. then if she doesn't take a nap, you're like, well, that just ruined my whole thing. Yeah. Everything's broken. But <laughs> with Ezra, I'm feeling a lot less strict about it, obviously, because yeah. he's my second. I think that just comes naturally. And but... you have a, like, different lifestyle. Yes. You, your whole life doesn't revolve around him. You also right. have Ella. Right. So we can't, yeah, we can't stay home or whatever. So he's a lot more flexible and will nap sometimes and not others. And I'm more flexible, but it is one of the hardest parts about being a mom is figuring out baby sleep. Yeah. And I feel like, like you said, we both differ with that, like where you, especially with Ella, we're very planning about her naps. And um, with Florence, I'm like, okay, she's going to sleep when she sleeps. Yeah. And both of those are fine. Right. Because they both end up sleeping. Yeah. Yep. It's hard with, like, a newborn to have them on a schedule because they sleep, like, 20 out of 24 hours a day. And so you just feel like they're sleeping all the time. And so then when they kind of start being awake more and, like, Florence has playtime and eat time and sleep time, like, I'm like, okay, she is sleeping less of the day, but, like, she's taking naps, but I'm never – it's not, like – every single day it's not consistent yeah like 12 to 2 she takes a nap right and that's not how royal was either um is he like that now or what we're on a little bit more of a schedule it's mostly just like after lunch he takes yeah. a nap whenever that is because sometimes lunch is at two right and sometimes lunch is at 12 right and so 
but he never sleeps later than five or else that's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, so, and baby sleep is really unique to your baby. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I can't treat Ezra the exact same as I treated yeah. Ella. Yeah. Because it's not going to work like that. Yeah, and, like, Royal was impartial to white noise or, like, river sounds or rain sounds or whatever. Like, he'll he'll have them, but he doesn't need them. Yeah. Um. But Florence def- definitely prefers them. Yeah. And sometimes I just, like, sometimes I'm trying to put her down with no white noise, and I'm like, she should be going to sleep, and she's just not. I'll turn on rain sounds, and it's two seconds later, yeah. and she's asleep. And I'm like, okay, that's that's what she needed. Yeah. And she's not – neither of my kids are, like, needing a dark, quiet room with just rain sounds. Yeah. Um, I'll try to get them to sleep anywhere. In the car. Yeah. They wouldn't, like, sleep at the store, probably, because there's too much to see. But, right. like, in their stroller, I could probably get them to sleep. Mm-hmm. While we're at our grandparents' house or our parents' house, like, they'll sleep. Yeah, I think my kids are pretty flexible, less flexible than yours on that <laughs> on that side. Um, but I'm and Ella definitely definitely is more high maintenance, but she's kind of growing out of it. And Ezra is less high maintenance because he's the second child. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we have to say about baby sleep. It's really unique to every child, and it- so I can't give you like this is what you have to do to get your baby to sleep but and i think you just got to figure it out it it takes so it took so much effort for for ella and i'm like not really looking forward to doing it with ezra but it's so worth it because ella has friends who still like climb into their parents bed Mm. and ella never ever ever comes into our bed in the middle of the night she hasn't for since she was 12 weeks old yeah (laughs) yeah that's just not something that we've done with her and i really like that so we'll definitely do that without ezra too at me why don't you well no (laughs) No, it's just like three-year-old yeah her three-year-old friends do that like your kids are younger Younger. and your living situation is also different so so kind of our next um topic we have a couple questions just really random from miscellaneous like questions boxes that each of us have put on our instagram stories so i just want to kind of talk about those yeah so so the first one that i got was does your scoliosis affect your pregnancies slash births and that's like i since you have gotten scoliosis i have felt worried for you i mean maybe even since before i remember like I remember always being worried for you always in my life. Like, I felt like I was always looking out for you. Oh, that's so um, cute of you. Like, when we would ride our scooters to school, I was always like, Annie, are you okay? Annie, are you okay? And you're like, I'm fine. We do this every day. And I'm like, are you okay? Oh, um, And then when you got scoliosis, I was always, like, felt worried for, like, you had to go to physical therapy or, like, mm-hmm. the chiropractor. And so, especially with your scoliosis and then, like, being pregnant I always wondered, like, is Annie going to be able to have kids? Yeah. Like, it, will I have to be a surrogate for her? Oh like, I've goodness. thought that. I was like, if Annie needs a surrogate, maybe I would consider it. Yeah. But I'm not very pro-surrogacy. <laughs> um, but that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. So I have wondered about this a lot, too, about scoliosis and pregnancy. And yeah. Birth. So I am really blessed. 
in my life because I do have quite a, I don't know if I've even like shared this on the podcast so much, but I do have a pretty severe S curve to my spine. And, um, when I first initially got it, I think I was like 13 or 14 and they found it. Um, and we asked the doctors, like, how will this affect pregnancy and birth? And he was like, nah, I don't know. Which I was like, you're literally a scoliosis doctor. You should know. <laughs> but he kind of more said, like, you'll have to wait and see. Yeah, because it could get worse or it could get yeah. less worse. Like, right. it could get better. Yeah. Not better, but. It could stop getting worse. Yeah. 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 So, um, when I first was pregnant, I, like, asked my midwife about it. And she was like, you're, she's like, if you go about your day-to-day fine, you'll probably be fine. And I was like, okay, well, I do. And um, I have always stayed very active and that has helped my scoliosis. And um, throughout both of my pregnancies, like, I don't feel like I had, I might have had maybe a little bit of increased back pain more than someone without scoliosis would have, but it was always very manageable. And if I did Mm -hmm. my stretches, it would be fine. Um, One thing with Ezra's pregnancy is I did get like really bad hip pain where like I felt like my hips were not aligned because they're not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that would cause some like nerve pain, but overall like throughout pregnancy I haven't had any major concerns um the one thing with scoliosis and birth is that I don't I I mean I've never been in the position to receive an epidural but I don't think I'm a candidate because because my spine is twisted They wouldn't be able to place it in the right spot. Right, right. It's a very touchy science. Without probably giving you, like, an MRI to figure out exactly where to do it. Yeah. It's probably possible, but it would be much more expensive. And riskier. Riskier and a bigger, like, a bigger process to place an epidural. So I actually do have a friend who has scoliosis as well, and she has asked me about it, and I was like, you probably want to prepare for unmedicated childbirth because... Well, I feel like everybody should prepare for unmedicated childbirth, whether they're planning to get an epidural or not, because what if your labor progresses so fast you get to the hospital yeah. and you're a 10 and they can't place it? For like, sure. That, this is just like kind of a side rant of like everybody should prepare their mind and their body for unmedicated yeah. childbirth in the case of you accidentally deliver at home when you weren't planning on right you accidentally deliver in the car when you're driving to the hospital Mm -hmm. you get to the hospital too late or yeah the anesthesiologist isn't available which happens quite a bit all the time so yeah Yeah. so really my scoliosis hasn't affected much because i do birth unmedicated Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean obviously maybe women who do want to receive medication and have scoliosis would have to figure that out with their provider yeah 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 okay our next question is what is the delivery of the placenta like and how soon does it happen yeah so this actually is a question from my friend who had a Mm c-section so she didn't deliver the placenta vaginally and so i think do they just take it out with the baby so interesting i've never thought about me either me either but i realized that 
but you should talk us through like the delivery of the placenta and what's it like and timing and all those things yeah so with royal i delivered royal and i was laying there and i was holding him and it wasn't even like 20 minutes Mm -mm. it like wasn't maybe wasn't even 10 minutes but i was still in the position on the floor where i was laying there and i don't know i just like probably not even 10 to 20 minutes yeah and um my midwife asked me to did they ask you to cough yeah they asked you to cough and they ask you to like do a little push Mm -hmm. and it feels nothing like birthing a baby it's like when you're on your period and like you can feel your period start or like you can feel like you know, if you have, like, a pad on, like, you yeah. feel like maybe a clot came out mm-hmm. and... Or a big gush of blood. A big or... gush of blood. Yeah, like, it, and it, it's not painful, or at least it hasn't been painful for my yeah. births, and it's, you know, just, like, they have you cough a couple times and then give a little push, and it's there. Yeah. In a smooth delivery of a placenta, it's very straightforward, very yeah. simple. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. And... Another thing, like, because I do an unmedicated birth and I do um, delayed cord clamping, it's not like the placenta is unattached, like, yeah, untethered from my baby or from me. Right. It, like, it's still connected to my baby and until it comes out, it's still connected to me. Yeah. And so those natural hormone also um if you're doing unmedicated you have the natural hormones that are going to tell your body to release the placenta mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so there can be like you know it can stall if you have if your body has medication and it's not processing the natural hormones and that's when you know providers tug on yeah. your placenta and then cause it to rip and come out incomplete right. and can- that can lead to hemorrhaging yeah so um that's why I do delayed cord clamping. That's why I wait until the placenta is delivered to ever even think about cutting the cord. And yeah. yeah. So very straightforward and easy. Yeah. At least in my experience. I'm I'm glad we touched on that because I don't think we really I mean it's kind of an afterthought. Yeah. yeah in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah. So then the next question is, how do you manage the pain of labor and birth? And we have done some episodes about this. Yeah. I mean, listening to our birth stories, I'm mm-hmm. sure will be really helpful to answer the, this question. Um, having a doula is really helpful because they, I would say it's the first thing yeah. that is going to help you manage the pain. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think also, I think specifically the episode that I'm thinking of that could answer this question really well is 10 things to do to prepare for birth. Yeah. We did a two-part episode um, on that and we talk about like vis- visualizations, we talk about doulas, we talk about a ton of stuff that positions, can help. Yeah, positions. Yeah. Being able to move in labor and, you know, like if you're like say you're sleeping and you're uncomfortable if you are forced to stay in that same position you're not gonna sleep yeah you want to roll over you want to itch your leg like Mm -hmm. you want to get up and get a drink or go to the bathroom and then you can go back to sleep similar thing in labor if you can't move you can't get comfortable and it's going to be more uncomfortable to the point of it's painful yeah so 
getting up to move, like, for me, I'm always like, no, I just want to, like, rest. I want to go back to sleep. I want to try to, like, sleep through my contractions. But um, in my birth story, I got up and I walked around the room. And that was, like, I was like, I don't want to walk because it hurts. But it was actually helpful to me for me to be up, be able to have people, you know, doing counter pressure on my back and and stuff like that. So, um, movement is a big movement. Way. Yeah. I think also a lot of it is mindset because if you're thinking you're just in pain and you're thinking pain is bad, you're going to be panicked. You're going to mm-hmm. be stressed about it. The pain is going to hurt worse. The pain is going to hurt worse. But it's not like pain without a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like, okay, my leg is broken and I need to get it fixed. That kind of pain. It's this is what my body is doing to help my baby out. Yeah. Like it's it's not pain without a purpose. Yeah, one of my um, doula clients, one of her mantras during labor was pain is purposeful. Yeah. And that was so powerful to, for when it hurt so bad. Yeah. Or not when it hurt so bad, but like when it was so intense for yeah. her to say pain is purposeful. This yeah. pain is purposeful. It was really powerful. Yeah. I feel like people are afraid of pain mm-hmm. when they don't need to be in birth yeah. because it's supposed to be there mm-hmm. it your body's not hurt you know yeah. like it's not it's hurt not sick it's not sick it doesn't need to be like fixed yeah it's supposed to do that it's working towards a goal yeah it's working towards your baby coming coming yeah yep. okay so our next question is um well i guess i'll ask this to you and you can ask this to okay. me but um what was the your favorite thing about your birth with ezra um my favorite thing about my birth with Ezra was probably the moment that he let out that big beautiful cry Mm -hmm. when it was all so intense and we were so worried and Mm -hmm. I mean I was scared in that moment because they were calling the paramedics and they were getting out the newborn resuscitation stuff and I was scared and at the same time, I had faith that yeah. he would be okay. But when mm-hmm. he came out and he was pink and he was moving and he was crying, crying, yeah. that moment was my favorite thing. And I mean, obviously, I I bet a lot of women would say like the the first time they heard their baby, that's a very obvious mm-hmm. moment. But yeah. for me, that's what it was. My favorite thing. Yeah. What was yours with Florence? There's so many. It's hard to choose just one. I think one of my favorite things was Adam being behind me in labor when I was in the tub um, because we talked about it beforehand. I was like, you don't have to get into the tub with me. Like, I know like that would probably be kind of gross. I mean, all the afterbirth just goes into the water that you're sitting mm-hmm. in. Um, and which, he is, just, which is fine for the mom yeah, because she's focused on other things. Yeah. But the dad is like sitting there in bloody water. Yeah. And, he's like, and so I was really glad that he – you know, put aside his personal feelings maybe about bodily fluids um, and, you know, got behind me to support me. Like, I felt so protected and I have a photo of him sitting, you know, behind me in the bath and both of us are looking down at Florence after she was born and it was like, I felt so safe and protected Mm -hmm. because he was covering us. Mm -hmm. That's Um, beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so this is our last question. This is what we're going to end with. I'll ask you and then you ask me. Um, Okay. 
and I don't even know if you have an answer to this, but what is one thing that you would change about your birth? Um, that's a good question. I think it's hard to answer because you're like everything happened that needed to happen. Yeah, and I think most people feel that way about their birth. Probably you kind of come to terms with how it mm-hmm. happened, how it did, and I mean, it might be it. The obvious answer for Ezra's birth might seem to be like I wish he wasn't in distress, but yeah. it taught me a lot about mm-hmm. um birth not like labor not going how I expect it to mm-hmm. and it taught me a lot of like staying cool under pressure which is so um useful as I go into the birth work world like I need that I think maybe one of the things that I would have changed is to have my friends there mm-hmm. and to have Ella in the room mm-hmm. even though it was so intense I wish And I mean, in the moment, I didn't want them there, but looking back, they could have handled it and it would have been, I think, powerful for them to see Mm -hmm. um, such an intense situation come to like be fine just yeah, like an fine. okay it was an okay situation yeah. like it was intense in the be moment handled but it, by the midwives because yeah. they're professionals yeah mm-hmm. yeah so I think that's what one thing I would have changed and even to have Ella I don't know mostly my answer is to have my friends there yeah maybe to have Ella there too but she doesn't have obviously the brain capacity to understand like this was scary then it was fine yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah. What about you? What was one thing you would change about Florence's? I think the same thing. I had two friends that I wanted to be there. And my since I didn't realize that I was in labor, since I didn't want to admit to myself that I was in labor, I didn't text them. Um, I didn't text them as soon as I probably should have. Um, so I was like, it was probably five. Like I was... <laughs> an hour or two away from delivery yeah and I was like wait my friends were gonna come right. can somebody text them so um I think having them being more prepared to have people come and like yeah. I don't know have a specific person that is like okay you're in labor I'm gonna get yeah, these other people here yeah. yeah so because I was like text this person this and text this person this yeah so I think yeah having my friends there too They both were able to come afterwards and they saw me and that was really nice and I'm really glad that they made time to do that. But I it's different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Well, that was a lovely episode. I'm so glad I'm feeling so much more caught up. Yeah, Um, I feel like we I mean, I had so much to say over the these past (laughs) five months. I'm excited to um share all of those things we talked about and we've got more fun episodes coming up so yeah thanks for um listening to our podcast and if you have any um feedback or questions and concerns you or can you, or if you just want to say hello yeah you can reach out to us on our instagrams it's at annie nuttle and nuttle has three l's yeah and mine is at megan d lamont um And those are both in the show notes. Yep. And you can also reach out to us on the birth sisters email, which is just thebirthsisters at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.